Cold Rush, we are kicking off 2023 with a very different kind of late screening. We're not talking about a movie today. In fact, we did this once years ago where we talked about a TV series and a movie. We're not talking about a, a movie today, as I just mentioned, but there was a movie that came out of a TV series sort of called Nathan For You, uh, starring Nathan Fielder, which I was looking it up today. That came out in 2013. I, I mean, we talked about it more recently than that, but it's been a few years, but I can't believe it's been 10 years since that show came out. And now we have the rehearsal, which uh, came out on HBO Max, I think last July or thereabouts. Uh, and you had been imploring me to watch this show and i didn't have hbo max until a black friday deal of like three months for two dollars <laughs> a month i'm like i can't pass that up and now i couldn't pass up the rehearsal and having now watched all six episodes of what i consider to be uh perception and dare i say life-altering television i can uh, only wholeheartedly thank you and i'm eagerly anticipating this discussion cool welcome how you doing i'm feeling great I have practiced this interaction at least 10 times, so it's going to go great. <laughs> Look at behind you. It's Book City back there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, and there there goes my camera again. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut out this part. All right. Well, let's set the table because as I mentioned before we started, it's been a while since we've talked about Nathan Pugh. It's been a while since I watched Nathan for you. And my brain, my memory is kind of Swiss cheese in the last couple of years. So why don't you fill us in on what was Nathan for you? Who is Nathan Fielder? And then we'll get to the rehearsal. Yep. I'm going to give you a, a kind of truncated timeline of my experience with Nathan Fielder. He is a Canadian comedian. Uh, he kind of came up with like the Seth Rogans of the world. Um, he notably had a segment call in the show This Hour Has 22 Minutes which is kind of like the Canadian version of The Daily Show. Hmm. Um, then he had a very successful Comedy Central show called Nathan For You, in which he helped struggling business owners improve their business with wacky marketing ideas. For example, a poop-flavored frozen yogurt at a yogurt shop, uh, an eight-minute delivery promise for a pizza shop, or you get a free pizza, but the free pizza is this big. Things <laughs> like that. Um but it devolved into other antics like dumb Starbucks, which made news and eventually finding Francis, which I consider to be a uh, absolute masterpiece of comedy uh, and reality filmmaking. Um, after Nathan for you's fourth season and the culminating in finding Francis, which was the finale, um, Nathan for you ended. And Nathan Fielder has now been on the production team for various other shows. Notably, he is an executive producer of the show How To with John Wilson on HBO Max. It is exceptional, amazing TV, uh, highly recommend it. And then, uh, like you said, last July, he launched The Rehearsal, which is a show that ostensibly allows people to rehearse for big moments in their life or things that they have been dreading so that when the actual event happens, they then have all of this knowledge of having rehearsed it uh, behind them and can take the proper path to the most desirable conclusion. It is a six episode mind fuck. And um, it is, I think, one of the more hilarious shows I've seen in recent memory. Uh, and it is also a cringeworthy, uncomfortable experience for many I know who have watched it. Um, 
And that is what I want from Nathan Fielder. I will also say, we'll probably get into this later. It is a rich and sort of vicious takedown of TV's effect on people and um, what people are willing to do for the spotlight. Uh, and it is also a takedown of the people like Fielder who make those sorts of uh, relationships possible. So <laughs> there is a lot to unpack in it. Uh, and it is, like I said, a six episode wild ride uh, that completely surprises at every twist and turn. I don't know if it's because, I mean, I know HBO Max has become a big deal. Um, like I'm the only person I know, I think, who doesn't have a regular monthly paid subscription because I subscribe to all the things. It's that old joke of like, well, cable used to be so expensive. So now we'll just have like 25 channels that add up to more than cable. Yep. I'm definitely in that boat. But I just I I was unaware of the rehearsal until you had mentioned it to me and you kind of described it to me. I feel like this is the kind of show that should have been part of a larger pop cultural landscape conversation because it is unlike anything I'd ever seen. I think I might have described it to you in a text like it's Willy Wonka meets Andy Kaufman, um, you know, but with Nathan Fielder at the center, who is unlike any personality I've seen. I think we might have talked about this during our Finding Francis conversation or Nathan for you. And if not, we'll definitely get into that here, which is the issue of verity. Um, you know, it is about a guy who is trying to set people up for this reality show and they are real people. And he goes to all you know crazy lengths to help them solve their problems. But as we get deeper into the show, the show becomes more about him and his relationship to the people that he's putting into the show in these situations and how it affects their lives. And so it becomes very introspective. And the very last shot of the series was so weird and like Dark Knight of the Soul stuff that I thought it was almost too perfect. And again, again I got that tingle in the back of my brain how much of Nathan Fielder that we're seeing is him versus wouldn't this just be the perfect ending for my series? Yep. There is, um, there's a lot of discussion and kind of analysis in Nathan for you um, about, you know, which version of Nathan are we getting? And in interviews, he's pretty open about it. And he says, you know, I'm playing a character on Nathan for you. And it is a version of myself that is much less social and much more awkward than I really am. Um, and it's easy to buy into that description because he's a comedian. So you kind of can tell like he's probably pretty okay with people, but part of his shtick is not being that way. Um, so that's believable. But what the rehearsal does, which you so definitely pointed out, is makes us ask like, how in control is he? What exactly is he doing and what does he want us to think is true um i did a post viewing deep dive after my second watch i watched it when it first came out religiously and i watched it last week one episode a day kind of in between work here and there and i was looking up some of the people that are on this show and <clears throat> you know they run the spectrum i think that the first guy his name is core skeet which is just a fantastic name who wants to confront a friend about his lie that he has an advanced degree um he is pretty real from what i can tell um but when you get into the second episode and beyond which is when things really go off the rails 
um, you have this central character of Angela who wants to practice for raising kids in a loving Christian home, nuclear family type of deal. Um, there is a lot of speculation online that she is an actress and has done acting before. Um, she claims that this was not an acting gig, but she wanted to be on TV for, you know, whatever reasons and wanted to practice for having a child. Um, and as interesting as she is, I like what you brought up, which is that towards the end, Nathan starts to analyze his impact on people. And I think that it's easy for him to obscure the truth of the scenario because he is so in control and he directly grapples with this problem with Angela and with other people. Um, but the last episode, Pretend Daddy, shows that for some of this pe these people, people who probably can't understand that they're on a reality show, this is very real. And I think the choice to include kids in this was really enlightening for me in particular. And it reminded me of, we talked about this in our Nathan For You chat, how he's like the son of Borat. Um, yeah. It reminded me of a scene in Bruno in which the character Bruno asks parents whose kids are going to act in something if they can do like increasingly crazy stuff to their kids and all these parents just sign off on it. Uh, and this feels like an extension of that where you have a kid who is supposed to be acting one way or another, but doesn't truly understand what is going on. And when you bring up the topic of Verity, that becomes a really interesting wrench in the gears to me because an adult can understand that they are on reality TV they can understand that they're trying to come off a certain way, despite what the edit may have you believe. But for a kid, that's not necessarily the truth, at least of a certain age. And we see that come to light very starkly in the series, which I find incredibly interesting. And that's that's sort of my central frustration. I love the show and I don't have any criticisms of it, except for the fact that I just don't know. <laughs> you know? Yep. I don't know how much of this is real versus how I almost wish that it were presented as a scripted, I mean, you could put this together into a three hour film. I mean, it just rolls one episode right into the other and it gets crazier and crazier. Um, I almost wish it were presented as, yes, this is a scripted dramedy, but it's presented as a reality show, kind of like uh, Albert Brooks's real life or a number of other kind of things that have experimented with the form of reality TV and movies. Um, but that's that's the frustration i will say i watched this with my wife uh i think i just said let's watch the first episode with with core and this has seriously one of the best opening five minutes of any show i've ever seen because as you sort of alluded to um you know there's this guy who he hangs out with a group of friends they're in a trivia a bar trivia league and he's been with them for like a decade or more and they're all very well credentialed very well degreed people Early on in that relationship, he got so swept up in one of the conversations that he started talking about, oh, yeah, I've got this degree and that degree and all that. And it just ate at him inside, especially because there would be people in his group acting as friends saying, hey, we know this person, this university is hiring this company or whatever. They're looking for someone with your qualifications to be perfect for it. And he would have, keep having to come up with lies to them as to you know, why he didn't apply or why it didn't work out and all this other stuff. So he hears about this show, I guess, and, and Nathan Fielder come to his apartment and they're just, there's this awkward banter of like, you know, coming into the door and, and sitting down in a chair and, and just kind of talking about stuff. 
And at one point, Nathan kind of peels back the curtain and says, look, uh, I've rehearsed this entire conversation uh, with an actor playing you in a replica of your apartment. And as he's talking, it's like a usual suspects kind of reveal as we see the apartment. I think we, I, it's been a while, since, like a couple of weeks since I watched it, but I feel like we might pull back from the apartment to reveal the set. And then we see him coming in the door and meeting the actor who looks very much like Core. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he's got spreadsheets and diagrams and he's got a great like laptop that he carries around with like the suspender harness so he can be everywhere controlling everything for every contingency. Um, he, the, the bar that they spend time in, he is so obsessed with getting every possibility right, like in this multiverse of, you know, uh, possibilities that he has a warehouse on which he has created an exact precise replica of the bar inside and out working taps. I imagine kitchen, he hires actors to come and, you know, create bar atmosphere. They, they have a working pizza oven, I believe. Or maybe they might, I can't remember. But the point is, they spend days, possibly weeks, going through every scenario so that the core is ready. But then the day, they, they even have uh, an actress playing the one member of the group that he is most intimidated, most concerned that might flip out on him. Um, they hire an actress to play her. Uh, they need to get a sense of what that reaction might be like if there's actually going to be any kind of danger there. So they have this actress pose as a journalist to go meet the real person in a park for an interview to kind of sort things out. And as the show goes on, that's just like the first level of the first episode. As the show goes on, we find that he hires people to play himself, people to play other uh, versions of other actors playing characters <laughs> it just gets so inception -y that it's it's bonkers and somewhere in the middle of this he starts wondering well who the who the hell am i um you know at one point angela is supposed to be looking for someone to share her life with and, and co-parent and the one guy that she's kind of interested in after a couple of blind dates he turns out to be a complete you know flake yes he's religious but he's also you know a, a pothead and, and completely irresponsible and, and has no interest in sticking around to help feed the baby at 3 a.m or comfort him so he also Nathan, crashed his scion at 100 miles per hour that's right i forgot that <laughs> but nathan steps in to be the the mock father in this relationship and that's when things really start blowing up i also forgot to mention that part of the experiment the, the, the second episode really just opens up the entire season. I think they have one other, like a side rehearsal that they do, yep. which is also really gripping. But at one at a certain point, Nathan realizes that he has to focus on this whole family thing, all this, all this side business. He, if he's going to make this work and be a good father and make Angela a good mother, he has to dedicate everything to the family. Um, but in the middle of this, he's like, well... I used to be married and things didn't work out. And I've always wondered what it would be like to be a father and, and you know, do I have what it takes? Does anybody? Um, so it just gets really strange, but very touching in, in odd ways. They tackle uh, child actors. They tackle religion. They, they go all out. I think this is a great show for people who are seriously thinking about becoming parents. I think everybody needs to watch this. Well, there you go. I uh, I can't speak to having any kids, but <laughs> I watch it and I go, 
oh, that must be exactly what it's like. Um. <laughs> it's well, it's the, the thing is, it's not exactly. I I I, I kind of lost my train of thought, even though I was rambling. But I do want to mention that be, as going from episode two through six and focusing on this family project, what they do is they hire a succession of child actors. Like every is it every week, every two weeks, they age three years. I can't remember um, what the rate is. Right. But they have, the, and they do it seamlessly. So they'll have an infant and it looks really strange the first time you see it. Like what is going on? There's a person sneaking in through a ladder to the second story window and taking a baby out of the room. It's because they're doing a swap in the middle of the night for, you know, the three month old goes to like the, the one year old to the three year old or whatever it is, but they keep swapping out these kids. So the idea is for the experiment to go from birth essentially to age 18. Um, and how do you deal with all the different ages? And there's a very important cheat about halfway uh, through that, which we'll we'll get into in a bit. But what I'm saying is, no, the show doesn't quite prepare you for what it's like to have a kid. But what it does do is present these different scenarios that you really have to think about before you start a family. How well do I know my partner? How well are we on the same page as far as these fundamental things like finance, religion, the, the, the ways in which we're going to bring up the child, um, you know, wh what happens when the going gets really rough and you have a fight? Like, how do you resolve these things? And you just, it's it's almost like weird reality TV pre-marriage counseling. Yeah. Oh, it really is. It's <clears throat> to watch, for me, the relationship between Nathan and Angela is one of the most fascinating parts of the show. Um because even though she knows that he is in a position of power being the producer and the director and all these things of the show, um, she's pretty remarkably able to stand up for what she believes in. And listen, I'm the first person to denounce religion of any sort. Um, <laughs> don't love it. Don't love what it represents. Um, I'm one of those, you know, if you're privately spiritual and practicing, that's good for you if it brings you peace. But um, I admire... Angela's sort of stand your ground attitude when it comes to Nathan because it leads into that exploration of what does a situation like this do to people so you have the reality of being in a couple or co-parenting but then you also have the reality of this is a tv show we are filming and Nathan is the Willy Wonka of this proverbial factory they even make that analogy directly and which I love, by the way, in episode one. Um, but Angela knows what she wants. And in a way, it can give way to the rehearsal and the exploration of what TV means to people and what being um, watched 24-7 means to people. Because what I seem to think as I watch her more and more is that she knows what she wants from raising a kid. She knows what she wants from raising a family. There are things she could learn. How much can you actually learn from a rehearsal like this, I guess, is one question. But she kind of knows what she wants her path to be. So I kind of quickly abandon the, well, what is the rehearsal going to do for her? And quickly move over to the, well, what does this mean then that she still continues to do it? Um, and that starts to give way to all these interesting questions. And I think that I have to give props to Nathan to some degree, because I think he knows that it would be best for the show for him to insert himself. And I think he knows how 
like laden with issues that is um but as we saw nathan for you and finding francis and this he is willing to make himself the butt of every joke as uncomfortable as he needs to be uh to get a laugh and to get the content and i think that in an age when so many people will try to do the bare minimum to get the most um he takes the opposite approach and he says what's the most i can do to make this good and the result is a show like this and it's just absolutely fascinating and remarkable to me that we even have the rehearsal um a lot of the discourse surrounding the show was is this exploitation is this awful is this bad is this problematic and those are questions that came up in nathan for you too you know is he exploiting these people in a way, yes, but many of them remember their time on the show fondly, if you look at the interviews afterwards. Um, whereas the rehearsal basically takes that question and says, like, what does this sort of situation do to people? And what does it mean for both sides, the creator and the people involved? Um, and within that, like you said, you have these nuggets of truth that people can draw from in their real life. And that's sort of the ultimate viewing experience for me. It's sort of self-analytical in a way but it can also be consumed kind of as is for entertainment which i think is what a lot of people did i had one friend who basically said i wish it was just one rehearsal every episode like nathan for you was and i was like that that did not ring true for me i was like what this became is so much bigger than a show that just lets a guy rehearse for a conversation with a trivia teammate, you know, it's not, it's not the same vibe. It's not just a 20 minute comedy show. This feels like a document. Right. Uh, I think perhaps the, the best kind of example is I watched select episodes of Nathan Few with my wife. She couldn't stand it because it was i mean she appreciated what it was but it just made her cringe so much whereas i lean into that stuff i i watched way more of Nathan for you than she did in this show we watched the entire six episodes together it wasn't cringe it was just fascinating um because of the, just the, the technical marvel of it all i mean at one point i think like episode three it's revealed that in order to help himself uh, pull off the illusion of you know or, or get into the mindset of what his how his kid is going to perceive him he has all the mirrors in the house installed with the uh, digital mirrors essentially that whenever he looks into it he sees a version of himself that is aged up to the appropriate age that he would be if his kid was you know 16 he'd be like in his 50s or whatever it is so he's got the gray hair and the wrinkles and at one point um when he i think it's in the last episode when he is really wrestling with the effect of this show on the boy who played the six-year-old version of himself he is talking to the boy's single mother and there's some kind of i'll say mildly tense it's tense for me because i was like listening to her answers um essentially it comes out that the kid was not a child actor the mom had sort of seized upon opportunity to get him involved in this show and perhaps had not had that training of like, this is what make-believe is, like he might with other young child actors. So it really messed with the kid's head. So Nathan decided to take on the role of her. So at one point he looks in the mirror and he looks like a woman and he's got like the nail polish on and everything, even down to her wardrobe. 
I I almost can't. Uh, if people are listening to this or watching this and they haven't watched the uh, the rehearsal, I apologize. Stop this right now and go watch it. This is mostly for people who've kind of been through the show, I think. But I watch this and then I look at you know the Oscar nominations came out you know this week. And I'm struggling to think of one film. I haven't seen them all, and I know about most of them. But I can't think of any movie from 2022 that I'm even aware of that had this kind of craftsmanship, performance, imagination, and asked the really big questions, the kind of stuff that we really should look to art and entertainment for. Uh, the answer is Marcel the Shell. Uh, and I say that okay. only half-jokingly. It is... Um absolutely a phenomenal movie and um it it actually actually it takes all those boxes i'm gonna, right, I'm gonna I take away the half joking and say it has the level of craftsmanship acting performance writing and it does ask big questions they aren't the same questions as nathan fielder asks um but it is a positively wonderful film completely underrated if you ask me um deals with viral internet fame and family and loss and grief and it, it is it is remarkable Aaron and I it got, it got nominated price. for for best animation so oh yeah. did it really I, um, I'm, wait i'm pretty sure it did like i'll double check that but yeah well i hope it wins um because it was one of my favorites all year along with i liked everything everywhere as well um also this is completely off the beaten path but uh aaron and i watched matilda on netflix holy crap that new movie is amazing peak camp love it um all right so uh, those are my three recommendations of the year. Matilda, Marcel, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, um, Marcel the Shell of Shoes On is actually one of the five nominees for Best okay, well, Feature. Yeah. Fingers crossed for it. Um, did, did like a Disney or Pixar come out this year? Uh, a few. Um, Turning Red was nominated uh, from well. Disney. And then um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish from DreamWorks. which I've heard that's quite good. It is Excellent. I didn't actually review it or talk about it. I just watched it with uh, with my youngest and we were both like completely surprised by how great that movie is. Well, there you go. I, I doubt that Marcel will beat out those tough competitors, but I, I honestly my... I think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, from what I've heard, is the one. Oh, yeah. 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 I've heard good things. Um, but yeah, this is my unabashed recommendation for Marcel the Shell, uh, one of my favorite pieces of media I watched all year. Um but yeah, so I, I'm i not like you in that I don't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> I would just, like, we only have two series based on that, predicated on that idea, right? Um, but TV is like my jam, you know? Um, I actually just wrote a newsletter this week about my irritation with, um, there seems to be this sort of prevailing attitude that like film and TV are like the, the best mediums. And I think there's clearly a case to be made, but there are so many stories that take place in video games and books and like on stage and other mediums that are just as good. Um, but a lot of people seem to use that sort of as a defense for why they won't consume stories another way when I think a lot of the times, not always, it can just be laziness or fear to try something new. Um, in uh, sort of, I mean, I think, and this is probably a whole other discussion. I know Roger Ebert famously <laughs> had a whole big diatribe against video games or, or questioning them as art. Um, my only issue with video games is 
if you're talking about something like The Last of Us, which is they've turned into a TV That's show. what the newsletter was about. Right. Uh, the problem there is that the experience of the game changes based on the player, whereas mm -hmm. in a movie or a TV show or even a book, the user or the, the readers, the consumer's experience is different based on one solid state piece of content. Yep. On top of that, when you're asking the average person who has a family as working jobs, you know, you, you might get them to go see Avengers because it's three hours long and everyone's talking <laughs> about it. You're not going to get them to say, oh, you got to play this 16 hour video game in order to get the full thrust of the story. That's just not going to work. Yep. And that I completely understand. I also made similar points or identical ones when Sorry, I was writing I didn't mean about to step it. on your didn't mean to step on your on your piece. No, these are I mean, these are great points. And I, I tried to acknowledge in the piece, like this is my bias coming through too, right? Like I am privileged in that I have the ability to afford video games, much less the time to play them. Like this is a thing that is true. Um, my direct gripe was less about people liking movies and TV, which I very much enjoy myself and more about the reasons you prefer them, right? Because mm. I think a lot of people will will try to say it's the highest art form when in fact it is just the easiest to consume. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I consume a ton of TV and a lot of it people would consider to be trash. Uh, it's- are you, are you watching MILF Island? I, I am not watching MILF Manor, no. Um, or is it MILF Manor? That's right. I, how predictable, I, you're thinking of 30 Rock. <laughs> how predictable was that twist though but yeah it's um it's i like to consume stories in pretty much any form and i'm never going to try to tell somebody that like one is the highest art form and therefore i will not try the others and, th and that was sort of where my gripe came from and i don't think a lot of people do that but i think that it can sometimes like i said be a bit of a shield or a defense against unwillingness to try or or inability to um, so again, I can't fault anybody for not being able to engage with a certain medium for a completely valid reason. That's just how it goes. Um, but that said, once in a while, there's, you know, a TV show like the rehearsal that comes around and I watch it and I'm like, this could not have existed in any other format. You mentioned that, you know, it could have been a three hour movie. And I think that those are kind of interchangeable uh, in this scenario specifically. But um, watching it week to week and kind of being within the the cultural zeitgeist of it was absolutely fascinating because it's kind of an interesting approach like fielder has a fandom of which i count myself one of the many like but it's not like a huge ip is coming out so you have this weird intersection of loyal fans coming to see what he's done and people who are seeing it for the first time and don't have the context of Nathan for you or how to with John Wilson or this hour has 22 minutes even. And what you get is just this like six hour long message that contains so many different subplots and subpoints. And I think for anybody to watch it and come away with nothing would be pretty much impossible. It's not something that begs to be watched just as content to consume without an opinion. Like, and that's what I really appreciate about this is it's sort of interactive in that you like have to ask yourself some sort of questions while you're watching this. You can't like, I can't imagine sitting there watching it passively and having no thoughts on it. And 
when TV can do that to me, it is much more interesting because it's like you said, it's a solid state piece of media, but when you watch it, you come out with something different than I come out with. And that's what generates the discussion. And it's much more authentic to me to have TV like that than to have something that tries to manufacture virality on its own. Right. I mean, it does walk or straddle and possibly even cross over that line of being something that is a very well put together, well produced experiment that is meant to educate and entertain the audience and something that is sort of winky comedy. I mean, in that last episode, as I mentioned, when he's trying to figure out like what's going on with this little boy, he uh, retraces, he, he does a, a do-over or does a several do-overs with a specific interaction he had with the boy where they're kind of like wrestling around. And I think the kid says, I love you, daddy. And initially he said, I love you too, if I have that correct or, or acknowledged it. But then he was thinking, well, given that this seems to be one of the key points at which you know we were bonded mistakenly because this boy who's growing up without a father has now latched on to me as his father figure, but that can't be because I'm not going to be in his life after the show's over. He tries to go back to that moment and see what would happen if what if I was what if I was distant uh, with him, which creates its own sort of problems that could mess a kid up. And then we get into a montage of like, well, what if I use an actor who because I think he went and got the boy who played the next age up from him, the nine year old to come dress as the six year old. But even that got its own set of weird complications. So he said, well, maybe I need an adult actor. Maybe I'll try it with a dummy. So it's like this minute long montage of this wrestling uh, kind of scenario playing out with the different conclusions. And you can almost see by the time he's wrestling with the dummy, I'm thinking it's a really neat idea because if you're doing a science experiment, you want to try and test as many variables as possible. The other thing is I can see this being a laugh line, kind of like in the actor episode where he's out in LA and he's, you know, uh, kind of set up this fake acting studio for the Fielder method. At one point he impersonates one of his students to sit in on the class and you see him walk in with the exact kind of like blonde hair and like a jean mm -hmm. jacket suit of the one of the guys and like no socks and sneakers or something. And just the way the camera's positioned, it reminded me of something out of, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen or the office, like, okay, this is the, he's sticking out like a sore thumb. This is really funny. And you got to laugh. I thought about that, but then I thought, well, I'm not laughing because I'm more fascinated with where he's going to go with this character. What is he trying to accomplish here? Yep. And he, he ends up like going to the guy's apartment and like trying to live there. And it's, um, yeah, I think what's the big turning point for me is when he starts to like insert himself into these rehearsals as people who went through the show, it becomes so much more convoluted and interesting. Um, and it's also a point where some of that truth comes into question, right? Because one of the actors, the one who he impersonates, is very clearly uncomfortable with the fielder method, as it is so branded. And He's basically finding someone latching on to them and trying to absorb their personality in like a like a in yep. a very intimate stalker situation. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. And um Fielder uses this as a way to like very clearly tell the viewer that you should be uncomfortable with this. And that's 
when my trust, quote unquote, starts to waver. And I'm not saying I completely buy into every single thing that happens until then, but it's when it seems like he wants me to start asking the questions, which that in turn makes me question, well, what previous four episodes do I need to look back on with a new set of eyes? Because um, this actor is, besides this actor, all the other ones seem really engaged with with this theory and like there's another thing it brings up is kind of like the craziness of acting classes and how few credentials you really have to have to like claim to be a teacher of these things um and i'm sort of happy with the fact that he doesn't try to answer all these questions i think he provides options it's kind of like a, a multiple choice type thing but he's content to let the questions float out there um this isn't a definitive conclusion by any means and it's it goes back to what i said earlier there's sort of an interactive nature to it where you come out of it thinking i need to chew on this again and the second time i watched it number one i laughed even more this time but number two i was constantly questioning every little bit of it because i remembered it all and i think that there's an element of the rehearsal where it, I don't know what it does differently from Nathan for you, but like there's not as much of a pastiche of comedy over it and it feels realer to me. I'm not saying that I believe it any more or less, but the way it's edited, shot and 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 written and everything makes it feel more like reality because they they kind of hide in the corners and make it seem like they're, you know, hidden camera filming these people at lunch, even though you know full well, like they know the cameras are there, they sign the release whatever um but the way it's structured makes it feel more like a a reality show than nathan for you was and i know that's intentional but i find it very interesting well the, the lunch thing is very interesting i think i assume you're talking about the the blind dates that yep. angela went on which are I, just hilarious in their own right they are but i wonder about that because um she kind of breaks it to the one guy that she ends up taking an interest to um, that she's part of a show and all that while we get to see that moment and I know in some cases I think it might have even been in the acting class um, when they have to sign the releases afterwards so sometimes and I'm, I'm no expert on show business reality tv but I have heard that they will record they'll get the footage with the unsuspecting people and then intercept them right before they go yeah. away and say by the way you've been on tv this whole time do you consent to this? And so that's that's why a lot of times you'll see blurred faces or you'll hear, oh, they didn't want to partake in this or they didn't want this released because um, they won't sign the release. That's why they call it a release. Um, so yeah, it's what I like about it is, and one of the reasons I think it, it causes these bigger meta questions in me, your one friend said, I wish it was just, you know, a different rehearsal every episode. That's what I expected from the show, but it takes on a life of its own so at the end of episode two, when they seem to be just getting into this Angela character and the kids and, and how is this all going to work out? I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up in three minutes? And it's like, oh, they're going to continue it into the next episode. It's a two-parter. Wait, it's a three-parter. Four? Oh, this is the whole series now. Yep. And that's why I question the reality of it because I think on mind like Nathan Fielder, which I can only imagine what it's like inside there, 
could conceive of, I'm going to do a fictitious show that's billed as a reality show. It starts as one thing, quickly becomes another, and then becomes 50 other things. I could also buy into the reality that this is sort of organic, maybe nudged along here and there, because it certainly takes a lot of time and effort to build a bar or a replica apartment or an 82-foot hallway that leads out of the fake bar onto the street with signage to invite people in because he had gotten a fucking liquor license to open this <laughs> fake bar. You know, it's just, I want, it's like the X-Files. I want to believe. Yep. And, you know, if you choose to take the more optimistic reading of this, like you said, with nudges came about organically, I think it speaks volumes to the nature of Fielder as a creator because I think that a lot of times creators will get in their own way and it can really result in a story being tepid. I think a lot of times studios and other stakeholders can get involved with that process too. Um, but if this was all organic to some degree and, and he saw those opportunities to make it better by inserting himself or doing another rehearsal in between, you know, whatever happened, um, I think it's just a wonderful sort of like picture of him as what kind of comedian he wants to be. Um, there is not a, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to describe because without, if you haven't seen the show, like you don't really know who Fielder is or what he's about, but even after watching it, you still have those same questions, but I, I still think at the end of the day, he's going to serve whatever story he thinks is best. Um, and for somebody to have that much control and that much restraint, uh, and like I mentioned earlier, the ability to kind of insert yourself, even though it's uncomfortable, is something so far-fetched to me because of how much studios and executives have their grubby hands in things these days. So that's where my skepticism comes from, is I want to believe like you said, uh, that Fielder is like the one driving all this and the creator and is kind of subjecting himself to whatever story emerges. But on the other hand, I believe that there is an episode order of six and you've got to produce them and you got to make something happen. And I don't know where on that spectrum this sits. Uh, but even as I'm saying it, I wonder whether I care. Um, you know, I, I've watched it twice now and I think this is amazing and entertaining every time. And I try to walk that fine line with media because I know a lot of people who, when I try to engage them on like a philosophical or analytical level with media, they kind of, their eyes kind of go dead and, <laughs> you know, they just don't really want to have that discussion. They just want to enjoy something and then move on to the next thing. And then I have friends who are like, they only want to watch stuff that makes them think. And this is one of those things, like I said, that it's going to make you think. And I don't like, I want to engage with that, but I don't necessarily care all that much about the truthfulness of it all. Um, because I think the questions it asks are just as important, if not more so than is this real? Um, and it's, it's, kind of similar to the point where, you know, you talk to somebody about how a fictional story changed their life because they relate to the characters and stuff. The impact of something 
can still be massive despite it not necessarily being real it's why imagination exists in the first place you know um and that's what that's what i really appreciate about the rehearsal is you've got this thing you don't know whether it's true and that's part of the glory of it to me you know i watch a lot of <clears throat> reality tv um a lot of it in the last couple of years centered around the the 90 days tv universe are you familiar with that i am 90 Day Fiance, 90 Days the Other Way, 90 Days Pillow Talk, yeah. Anyhow, I actually had this conversation with my wife uh, the other night because we both watched these shows. And I was explaining to her that there's no such thing as entertainment that I can consume without thinking very heavily about it. Even brainless stuff. I'm not, I, I love watching stuff that engages, that is supposed to engage my mind, as you put it, stuff that makes me think, and that's its purpose. But I don't have a filter there. So when I'm watching a show like, you know, he has someone that cop to it, Thousand Pound Best Friends, which is an actual show. Uh, we were watching the episode last week, and I noticed that the four friends were having a conversation in the kitchen. And this happens all the time in reality TV, and it's a fun little game. But if there's a microwave clock in the scene, watch it. And watch how the four friends will be having what seems to be a five-minute conversation but the clock will go forwards and backwards <laughs> during yeah. the different cuts. So you're left to wonder, was this an actual conversation? Was it one that they did multiple takes for? Did the editors piece together a conversation to fashion a storyline based on something that had nothing to do with anything else? They were just able to find the words in that moment uh, or was like one cutaway where it's like 12.05, where the rest of the conversation happened at 2 p.m. Was it just because one character had a good reaction that captured that character's feeling in the moment of the actual conversation, but they didn't have that exact frame, so they took it from this other place? These are the things that I think about when I'm watching shows like Thousand Pound Best Friends. Um, and that's one <laughs> of the things I love about the rehearsal is it makes you wonder about this. Angela is a comedy character. You know, she has that kind of cliched story of like she was young. There's probably some abuse. She got into drugs, like heavy drugs, like acid and stuff. And then she found Jesus. And now she's like so far into Christianity that she's into numerology. And she finds the one other guy on a dating app who's even more into numerology than her. Uh, it's, it's a comedy character. But as we go through the show, we start to figure out more about her as an actual person. We find out more about the people playing her kids as actual people. We come to find out, and this is the, the cheat that I mentioned earlier. At one point when Nathan goes to LA for like a week or two to do this acting school and do some other research for the show, when he comes back, his son, Adam, is now 16 years old, I believe, or 15, something like that. And he comes in and Nathan is like, hey, how's it going? And the kid's like, fine. And then, but there's something wrong with that emotion. And Nathan goes to talk to the kid. He breaks character. And he says, look, I want you to talk to me as, you know, you as the actor, not you as my son, even though it's in the contract, you're not supposed to do that. What was, you know, how would you, if you hadn't seen me in what amounts to, I think something like nine years had passed, because it had been three weeks or something like that. Yeah. How would you feel? And the kid's like, I would, no, I would not be happy to see you. We'd have some problems. So he's like, can we just re redo that? And so Nathan comes home and the kid like basically tells him off and stomps off to his room leading into the rest of the episode. They've got serious problems between them. 
And Nathan is freaking out because he lost all of that time. And that's something that whether you are a father or a mother who's abandoned your kid and you you know have regrets, or if you're just a parent who the, it, the cliche is true, so hang on to it. And part of the cliche is that no one ever believes it when you tell this to them. When you have kids, time moves incredibly fast. And one minute they're three years old and, and you're the, the, the king of their world, lovely play buddy. The next they're 12 or 13 or 18 and they want nothing to do with you. Even if you know there's still love there, they're off becoming their own people. And you always wonder, I wish I'd spent more time with them. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. So it's a cheat and it's I could see it coming a mile away, but it's also a sweet moment. There's a scene at the playground where the 16-year-old kid is hanging out with all of his friends like they're getting high and drinking. And Nathan kind of wanders into this field and he's looking at his son and his son kind of nods to him and he goes down this slide, like a, one of those concealed tube slides. And out the other end comes the uh, six-year-old version of the boy from before he left. And he gets the chance. He gives him, he wonkers himself the chance to go back and get that nine years again. It's wish fulfillment. It is a cheat, but again, this is the kind of thing I think it beautifully illustrates something that if you are starting a family, or if you're thinking about coming up parent, or even just getting into a long-term serious relationship, thinking about what attention costs you. And that's in that that 30 minutes is the perfect illustration of that. Yeah, this is the more you talk about it, the more I think if and when I become a parent, this is a show that I'll want to revisit from time to time. Uh, and as much as some of this stuff is like, maybe not dark, but just like heavy, um, a lot of it is uplifting. Um, yeah. My <laughs> my favorite scene in the entire thing is they Nathan does the sketch of Doctor Fart uh, with the kid, <laughs> and and then Angela confronts him and she goes, "He's eating feces," and she's like really pissed about it. And I just love the scene because. Nathan then goes and he's like, well, you have to escalate the sketch. Do you know a lot about sketch comedy? And um, these little moments. We, we, should, we should point out, he's not eating feces. Not actual he's feces. A, he's the, the little boy is like three or maybe it's the six-year-old at the time. They're playing a doctor game and it's a chocolate bar that Nathan's pretending. He's pretending yes, to eat his own correct. Food, And the kid um, loves it. <laughs> and the, the bit is hilarious, <laughs> number one. Um, but it gives rise to this sort of like, well, you talk about parenting, it also gives rise to these questions about relationships, because I know and have known, and I'm sure you know, or have known many people who, like, you meet them, and you kind of wonder, like, what what's going on there, like, between those two, like, you know, you, you sense that there's love there, but there's something kind of like an undercurrent that you're not quite sure. And with Nathan and Angela, they kind of bring that to the most awkward forefront that they can. Um my personal favorite interaction between them is when Nathan almost breaks and basically asks her, well, can you just make me a list of everything that is satanic? Because <laughs> I, I'm going to go home, go to the store and bring back oranges. And you're going to be like, well, orange peels are satanic. Um, and I can relate to that because they're like, even being with my partner for um, however many years now, we've been married for three together for over six um, I know you've got a little bit of time on us, but still, there are little things you find out about them that maybe aren't as awkward or severe as that, but just kind of make you laugh and think like, we are still growing and learning to understand each other as people. Um, and 
as terrible as the depiction is between Nathan and Angela and hard to watch for some people probably um it's also nice because it's an indication that like no matter how different you are as people um you can still learn a lot about each other and that's something you can apply not just to your romantic relationships but to your friendships as well uh and it's some a lesson that I try to take too is like when you learn something about somebody yeah accept it at face value but like also appreciate that like this is new information you're getting about a person and um it can be any number of things it can be funny it can be enlightening it can make your bond stronger uh and there's a lot that just like learning a factoid about a person can do and i think that this just flips that on its head and says like you know sometimes you you are kind of friends with somebody and you learn something about them and you you grow apart a little bit because of that fact and then another <laughs> fact comes and you grow apart a little more so it's just a cool analysis of relationships too and what people will do to to get what they want you know robin is a great example in this show um where like they're sitting on the couch him and angela this is her potential suitor and he he literally just says to her so i'm like a pretty attractive person and you know you're learning things about him and the edit is clearly made to make you think that robin is a low life dolt who doesn't deserve anything um it it, it certainly depicts him that way at least uh, but it's just another of those interesting tidbits. And it also, I guess it's a lesson in like how something so small can teach you about somebody. Um, but then it's also like how a tiny thing can paint your perception of somebody possibly incorrectly. Uh, that was a long ramble about a lot of things, but it's one of the aspects of the show I adore is, you know, you'll share one bit of information and your perception of something completely changes. Well, that's, and that's, um, you know, I think a, a good way to start to, to wind this down, that, that blind date, you know, the only reason that Robin was his name um, mm -hmm. does not end up with Angela is because of Nathan. Nathan goes in the car with him back to his apartment. Um, and that's when things start to come out about like the, the ridiculous degree of numerology about his hostile, volatile relationship with his roommate about the whole thing about he crashed the car we learn this before angela learns anything about it whereas if nathan hadn't been there it's it's almost like a, a warning against dating app culture because you see someone attractive you get their bio you get the best version of them that they want to put out there and if you think oh we've made a connection we can make this work i'm a single mom i'm looking for someone you're a christian i'm a christian but you know that information is going to come out and you're going to have to deal with it. It's just, you know, uh, a mercy that they found out about it pretty much on night one instead of night, you know, a thousand and one. Because uh, that would have been some really devastating stuff for Angela and also for, you know, baby Adam at that point. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much about this. Uh, there, there's that Netflix documentary a few years ago called The Social Dilemma. I don't mm -hmm. know if you watched that. But it's like that and then this are great insights into how media shapes reality as we perceive it reality as we accept it and actually reality as we know it in a lot of cases yeah that's absolutely right i love the social dilemma by the way um it is mostly the reason i deleted many of my social networking apps so <laughs> here we are excellent well hopefully you out there watching will not delete YouTube, or at least not this channel from your YouTube feed. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
recovering from a bit of a bit of a cough. But um, Cole, thank you very much for recommending the rehearsal and and introducing me to Nathan Fielder. Not not in real life. That would be amazing. But uh, but great. his work certainly. Um, do you have any final thoughts on on the rehearsal? No, I think we covered a whole lot of ground. I will say if anybody watching, including you, Ian, uh, enjoys the rehearsal, your next journey should be How To with John Wilson, which is a very different format, a little less uncomfortable to watch, but no less entertaining by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely wonderful show. Fielder is not in it, but he executive produces. Um, and I think you will be delighted if you watch it. Challenge accepted. Um, All right. Oh, I do have one more thing to plug, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, I wrote a piece about people's perceptions um, towards animation in which you so gratefully, uh, well, I'm grateful to you. You participated in it. Um, and many of your answers were featured because predictably they were excellent and well thought out. So I don't know when it will go live yet sometime after this is um on youtube but check tour.com or my website and or my twitter and you'll be able to see it well and also uh if you're watching this in the future after the piece is published there will be a link down below there you go again if you're watching hello from this, the like, future. immediately after it goes up it won't be there but yeah yes hello from the future exactly um cool well thank you very much Cole. i'm, I'm flattered uh it's always fun to to help out in your literary and literary uh writing about endeavors but um yeah uh, I don't know what we're talking about next month. I think I, I we've got a list hammered out, but I frankly forgot what it's on it. So it'll be a surprise and an adventure. Uh, until then, thank you very much, Cole. Everybody check out Cole's stuff. There'll be links down below. Check out uh, the rehearsal and uh, Nathan for you and, and uh, how, how we work. What is it? Uh, how to called? with John Wilson. How to with John Wilson. Okay, do that. I'm going to do that. Until next time, whenever that is, whatever that is, Thanks very much. Oh, like and subscribe and all that business and take care.